Well, today is a fun one. We are going to talk with a global citizen. She's a little bit woo-woo. She's a spiritual life coach, and she helps creative women who've already had a lot of success to create a more deeply satisfying life by getting in touch with their soul to identify and understand its gifts, characteristics, and desires. And using that understanding to create a life they love from the inside out so they feel like they are truly living. My guest today is Lisa Rose from Truly Living You. We are going to talk about travel, living in Europe, ideas about how to reduce and reuse. We're going to talk about her personal altar. We're just going to dive right into that. We'll talk a little bit about incense, which is fun. So this is a really fun conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. And I'm really excited to introduce you to Lisa Rose. You're listening to the Half Hippie Podcast with Tara Milo. I'm a half hippie, half princess, cat mom, city girl, introvert, and entrepreneur. I don't fit into a box, and you don't either but I'm committed to making the world a better place through my lifestyle and my business. I love talking about sustainability because I know that you can make a positive difference without giving up the things you love. Here on the Half Hippie Podcast, we're talking about sustainability and entrepreneurship. We'll share stories about what makes us all half hippie and what our other half does to make a positive impact in the world. Let's go. Okay, so um, when you had put the call out looking for uh, people to talk about renewables, you know, the first thing that came to to my mind as a spiritual, because I'm a spiritual life coach, and one yeah. of the tools in spiritual life coaching uh, is the creation of a personal altar to sort of expand the practice, aid the practice, have sacred space. And I've uh, written a lot about them and also the objects that can be included. And on my personal altar... I always include natural materials almost exclusively. And I change my altar either seasonally, you know, because I, I originally come from a place where we had four or five seasons, yeah. uh, or purposefully, you know, meaning it could be, uh, a, it's a certain purpose. Maybe there's a manifesting uh, element to the altar, or uh, maybe it's ancestral, you know, worship, or it could just be a place to, uh, commune with uh, spirit guides, you know, uh, depending on on what the purpose is of the altar, I, I might change it up. But the common denominator is uh, materials that, you know, they're not going to end up in the trash can. They're going to be usually recycled right into mother nature. So today, yeah. if you looked at my altar that I have today, uh, and I've got several, I've got several in my house, and then I have some, you know, outside in my garden. And then if I'm traveling, I, I sometimes make them. But my altar here in my studio today, for example, has uh, dried pussy willows in mm -hmm. a crystal vase. And that uh, represents an element of the natural world for me. I have uh, Japanese, very specifically Japanese incense because it's the most natural. They, uh, I wrote a blog about about this. They call it Ko, K-O-H. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about it in a second, but it's one of the few uh, methods of making incense that burns that doesn't include uh, gums and oh. treated wood and uh, materials that have been treated with pesticides 
et cetera, et cetera, which is what you usually find in most incenses uh, from other places because it's cheap. Yeah. The Japanese method of doing it is almost like making fine wine. They put oh. together uh, you know, herbs and spices and earthy elements and then they cure them and age them. Oh, that's lovely. Isn't it wonderful? And when they have versions of them that are almost smokeless, right? There's a tiny bit of smoke because it's lit and there's a, it burns like a charcoal flame rather than a, a smoky flame. For example, if you were lighting up white sage to do um, a, an energy clearing, it gets real smoky real fast. Yeah. Uh, and with the Japanese incense, it doesn't. It's just, it's this wonderful scent. And uh, the other thing that I love about using incense, and obviously if you have respiratory issues, you won't be able to use it, you know, uh, this is for people that don't, but it, it it's, um, it's a way to, to time yourself. For example, if I'm meditating, I'll go to my altar and I might light the incense and I know that incense burns for about 20 minutes. So there's no alarm or ding or anything I need to worry about. I naturally can smell it. And when it dissipates, I know that it's a good time for me to close and how much time has gone by. Oh, that's a good idea. I like that. It's it, it's really great. Uh, it can so it can also keep you uh, keep you alert, you know, right. uh, so that because because you will that scent will come wafting over. The age of the Japanese incense doesn't usually affect its efficacy, you know. So it can it can sit around. It doesn't really have an expiration date like fine wine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it brings a, a moment of peace. You know, uh, it's there's a, the ritualistic element to it where you select it and you light it, and then you the scent is revealed. You now, I tend to mix mine up, so sometimes it's surprise, and then there's other times where I use certain ones during certain seasons. Like I love the scent of um, uh, Hinoki cypress in the winter, mm. and then in the summer. I will use one that is made from the essence of roses. Oh, that's sweet. So I'll car, you know, I'll correspond it to uh, to the season. But that's uh, that. So that's always it's always present. And uh, sometimes it's those real. The, the thing about Japanese incense are very skinny, you know. So they 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 burn hot. They burn, uh, but they don't burn long. Uh, and it's unlike the temple incense, which occasionally I use the big temple incenses, which is more smoky. The smoke, the visual element of the smoke rising is the same like it is in uh, when they do those great Palo Santo smokings uh, in celebratory masses in the Catholic Church. You know, and you see that in Spain and probably still in, in Portugal where you are, where the smoke yeah. is part of the practice of transcendence. You know, and you see that also with the temple. So that really smokes up the place. So I tend not to use those on my on my altar unless there's a special reason for it. Where does somebody find Japanese incense? Because I, I heard about it and I've been trying to find it, but I don't know where to look. Uh, it's a tough one. But my favorite, uh, my favorite Japanese brand is one called Bayedo. Uh, I think it's B-A-E-I-D-O, Bayedo. Okay. And uh, people who know incense, if you say Bayedo, they all kind of smile because they know it's so pure. Okay. 
And uh, I usually also buy mine at, um, in Venice, California, there's a, a, um, a boulevard there that has lots of different shops, kind of like in Los Angeles. Uh, but if you go to one of the towns that's kind of hippie-ish, you know, <laughs> or new age, yeah. you can usually find a shop that has uh, good quality uh, Japanese incense. And now I buy them in, in stores like that. But other things that I have on there are like, um, I have an old-fashioned glass hourglass that has sand in it when I want to keep when I want to keep time and I'm doing work for my clients and I'm doing soul work like I'm going into the Akashic record and I'm you know doing research about their soul and, and guidance I'm I want to time myself yeah. and I time it with any anything that alters natural so I time it with an old-fashioned hourglass and let the sands run I love how non tech all of this is. It's so much more grounded and natural. Yeah, it's refreshing. Then, you know, yep. the light that I use is, uh, is always beeswax candles. I use the natural version. And mm-hmm. uh, when beeswax has been lit for about 20 minutes, uh, it emits a scent that smells like honey. Yeah, of course. Oh, that's nice. Then, of course, there's crystals there. And I use a lot also of found rocks or found beach glass or found crystals. Like if I go hiking, you know, you, you look at them and it's the one that catch, catches your eye and you stop and you might turn around and look at it again. Yes. I've done that. And I was like, I don't collect shells, but this one really wants to come with me. <laughs> exactly. And the same thing with the rocks. So I have them. I have a bunch of those there. Uh, I might use um, fresh flowers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might pick up a feather. You know, if I'm walking and I see a feather, sometimes I gather uh, in the fall, I'll gather fallen leaves from my garden and put them in a bowl mm-hmm. uh, as a visual. Um, I might go and have some paper, handmade paper laid down. I'm also a big fan of handmade Japanese paper. Yeah. So I might lay some paper down and lay the crystals on top of the paper. For example, uh, I love water. So I always include water in some capacity. And usually it's just a a little bowl with water Mm -hmm. uh, or maybe even just a glass of water and it just sits there. Yeah. So all things that are natural that, you know, when I'm going to change it up, most of this can be returned, you know, in the end, in the, in terms of the beeswax, you know, you burn it, it goes into the atmosphere and beeswax candles are extremely beneficial. Just, you know, most people don't understand that what they're lighting up is petroleum right. in a candle. Yeah. Paraffin wax. I've heard that too, that beeswax is so much better for candles than soy or paraffin for sure. It's more expensive, but it's worth it. You know, the paraffin releases toxic carcinogens in the air. That's why when you go into these old cathedrals or old churches, you, the, the walls are black. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, for and sure. And the paintings are black. You know, it's almost equivalent to the same chemicals that are like in diesel fuel emissions. Uh, it can cause all kinds of all kinds of issues. You know, yeah. if you have enough of those those burning. But uh, with regular beeswax candles, they burn longer. Uh, they burn brighter. Mm. They're natural. Usually, you know, they're organic. The bees are making them. No shelf life. Right. Uh, they have a high melting point. Uh, so, uh, you can get, you know, a couple of days of light out of an ounce of beeswax (laughs) where the paraffin, it's like gasoline, right? It just burns right out of your car. Exactly. 
Oof. Yeah. Well, this is so, it's so natural. It's basically clean the air. So. Yep. Yep. That's what I've heard too, that it's a more purifying candle. The only thing I would caution anybody about with the beeswax is when I'm burning it, I do notice a lot of bees floating around my screens. Oh no. On my window. (laughs) And if I leave, and I'm in California, we often don't have doors with screens. We just open them up and I'd have like four or five bees in here. I'd be, uh uh-oh. I got. I can't burn candles and have the door open. Oh yeah, oh that because that they are wax, so exactly. they they get confused and either they want it, or they think they're heading to the hive, or <laughs> yep. Oh, they get confused. Oh, okay. Well, that's and now you know, I, it, in the olden days, you know, I would swat them with a, a, a towel. Now I don't. Now I take my time and I capture each bee. Yeah, and I <laughs> take them outside to the garden. Once I heard the bees were in danger, I'm like, no. Yeah, you know, we have. They save the bee. Give it a pillow. (laughs) (laughs) Very carefully with glass, you know, put them in. It's a whole thing. Takes a little while, but I get them. Yes, I know. They're so sweet though. Well, this is a very hippie altar, Lisa. I love it. So is it a great? Yes. I'm wondering when did you first start identifying with hippies? Um, my babysitters were hippies. Oh, cute. I, they were in my neighborhood. Uh, I watched them. Uh, I listened to their music. Yeah. I overheard their conversations. Uh, I understood uh, that they were different, um, that their viewpoint of the world was revolutionary. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, it was an interesting time to be a kid, you know, where you were raised in a certain fashion and then there was a revolution that was happening and and along with that period you know when they talk about you know the hippie uh if you're under you know if you're under 60 50 60 years old there's no way you can be a hippie right there's just it it, it was a it was a, it was a movement in a part of time that inc- that incorporated so many uh things and then later, what we have now is people just sort of reach and they grab for elements of what that was. Yeah. But uh, you know, and there were and there were versions of it. There were like there were there were uh, levels and ranges of it. You know, some people tried a little bit. Maybe the women went without a bra. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Others completely moved into communes and they grew everything. Uh, lived in the commune. Didn't have any out, much outside contact. Kind of like the Amish in Pennsylvania. Right. Uh, and that was you know a, a different others were all about, you know, um, drop out and tune in. And the, they were all about the drug culture and what could be revealed uh, to them through these altered states of, uh, through, through through psychotropic, you know, drugs and recreational drugs. Um, that's That was not everybody, right? That was different. Some of them were really about uh, holding the government accountable. And this is during the period of Vietnam, which was never declared as a war, but was, you know, funded and and people were drafted as though it was, right? So there was a whole lot of political angst, you know, among youth because they were the ones being drafted. Yeah. Uh, So for them, you know, they were, they might've been branded as hippies, you know, (laughs) then it became sort of a derogatory word. Recycling, I can't say that there was a whole hell of a lot of recycling going on in the hippie. They just left their trash where they were and walked away. (laughs) You know, take a look at the after party at Woodstock and you get a picture of what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know. That sucks. But there was an element of sustainability or like just being conscious of the earth, don't you think? 
far. It was the very beginning of it. Yeah. It was the very beginning of it. And a lot of it came out of Native American culture because the Native Americans were saying, what are you doing? Yeah. I mean, we thought nothing of rolling our windows down on the freeway or on the highway and throwing our trash out the window. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Never. Now I wouldn't ever even consider, uh-uh. you know, but that was common. Yeah. And then I remember there was this commercial on television because television was going from black and white to color then, mm-hmm. became very popular. People were able to start aff- affording TVs, at least in my neighborhood. I, I came from the lower middle class. And um, there was a commercial of a Native American uh, person, a male dressed in uh, a, a costume mm-hmm. uh, that was you know, relative to their tribe. And he didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. And you could see the trash blowing on the side of the road, and they panned over to the trash blowing on the side of the road. And then they panned back to him, and there was just a big tear that came down his eyes. Yeah. I remember that. And that, that. was it. Yep. I remember that. That commercial was alive and well when I was a kid. And then I heard a story about it a couple weeks ago on an NPR podcast about trash, and they specifically talked about that commercial. and all the meaning that it had and everything. And it was really powerful. And I think it changed a lot of people's perspective about trash and made people stop throwing it out the car window while they were driving. Well, even as kids, I, would, I remember saying, asking my parents, say, what's he crying about? And he says, well, a lot of trash on the land. People just yeah. you know, roll down their windows and they throw out the trash. They really should put it in a trash can. And we were guilty of doing this as well. We stopped. Yeah. We yeah. stopped, you know? So then it became more like um, – uh, being that's kind of how it started was, you know, d- picking up your trash. Now there was plastic then, but mm-hmm. there wasn't as much plastic as there is now. I mean, yeah. instead of plastic, what you saw were glass bottles mm-hmm. and you saw uh, cans. It was very interesting time because it, it was a lot of ideas about how things could be done differently without uh, hurting the earth, mm-hmm. making things less expensive because you're renewable. Yeah. You know, here in California, I drive down the freeway, you know, and wonder all the time why every roof isn't covered in sun panels. I know, right? <laughs> I just, it sounds me. I, I think, wow, the sun, it's, the sun shines here almost 300 days a year. And yeah. I'm in Southern California and the they could just use those panels and then put it back into the grid. Exactly. And people wouldn't even have to pay yep. probably their electric bill. Yeah. And think about all the jobs that would be created by that. And those are local American jobs, installing solar panels, repairing them, maintaining them, all of that. It's it's amazing. The, the other thing about it is that it has to be stored in a battery and batteries just aren't good enough. They're not quite good enough yet. It's coming. It's coming, but it's not here yet. So soon, I mean, Tesla is making amazing progress with batteries. So it'll be here. Yeah, batteries, that's a, if, you're, if you're a young person listening and you're wondering what to do with your life and you have any sort of <laughs> engineering or chemistry background. Yes, batteries. Give us batteries. batteries. <laughs> we I'm want pretty them, sure that's where we're going. We want them small. We want them reusable. We want them, I don't know, not destructive. Non-toxic. Yes, non-toxic. That's what I was looking for. (laughs) So what's something 
I mean, your altar's very hippie. Is that like the hippiest thing you do? Like what's something you do that's totally hippie? I am conscious. Mm. Uh, I vote. Yeah. That's a very hippie thing is to not not just watch the television and believe everything that you see. <laughs> right. Uh, or even read the news and believe everything that you read. Uh, but to go out and, you know, you, you, you talk, uh, travel. Yeah. Uh, travel is the great, has always been the great teacher in my life. And, uh, in that hippie movement, there was a lot of travel. People just slept in, some of them just slept in their cars. They just slept out in the, on the ground in their a sleeping bag, you know, yeah. under the stars. Uh, <laughs> it was, you know, it was, it was, uh, they, call, they used to call it traveling light. I'm traveling light, man. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm light. You know, that's sometimes that's all they had to say was, Well, you know, hey, how you doing? You got anything, you know, that I can help you carry in? I'm light. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I travel light, but I'm still a little bit of a princess. So <laughs> I've got some luggage. I'm sleeping in well, a hotel or Airbnb. I used to travel with, you know, the three the three pieces of luggage. Uh, this is before they even had rollers and I was young and could and still could carry them all. And now I'm pretty efficient. I'm a pretty efficient traveler, you yeah. know. I can go I can go 3 or 4 weeks with a carry-on. Oh my gosh, and, that's incredible. Yeah, I mean, if I'm going to go for like a month or you know, I used to live in three places, Hawaii, California, and Europe for 10 years, so I was always on the go. Yeah. And if I was going for someone for like 3 months, yeah, I'd check the bag. And take sure. a bunch of things that I needed. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, I was traveling pretty light. So I would say that's another thing. I, you know, the, the my altar is kind of hippie-ish. I pay attention to recycling. Mm-hmm. I'm a big recycler. Uh, I think twice about, well, how was that made? Mm-hmm. You know, what's it made of? Where's it going to go? And the biggest struggle that I have with that, and you're being a tech person would understand that, is look at all this tech stuff. Yep. I know. It's not great. It's a lot of plastic. It is. And a lot and of wires. There's a lot of mind materials, which I'm going to cover in a previous episode to this one. Um, we talk about mining and sourcing materials and stuff like that. I still have a business. You know, I still need the laptop. I still need the, the yep. cell phone. Um, yeah. I stopped uh, buying the latest and greatest. I hang on to everything a lot longer. Yeah, me too. Almost to the point where Apple no longer supports it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's my phone right now. (laughs) I know. Me too. I've got a cloudy spot on my camera. I really need a new phone. I'm going to get a refurbished one, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's just the ethical dilemma. Like we need these things to live in the world today, but we know they're not great for the planet. Oh. Well, I think when I, if I, I don't know if I'll ever, you know, throw in the towel completely, but when I do, yeah, I'll reduce, I'll reduce it even further. But that's just one area, you know, I, I try it in all the other areas. So I'm trying to maybe, yeah. ba- maybe balance it out. Uh, I drive a hybrid. Yeah. For a long time, uh, I ran a nonprofit community gallery in the San Francisco Bay area in California. And I did, uh, I curated an exhibition uh, of artworks by artists that were paper artists. Mm-hmm. They did everything out of handmade paper and papers. And uh, one of the artists came in and she said, oh, look, Lisa, the, all of this work that I'm uh, making uh, is from recycled cotton T-shirts. Oh. And I said, how did you do that? You know, and she said that she puts them in a blender, like a sharp blender and chops it all up. It back, makes, turns it back into basically cotton fiber. 
Wow. And then she, she created the paper out of it and it was beautiful. And I thought, wow, I just throw my cotton shirts when they're holding stained in the trash. And she says, no, give them to paper artists. We love that. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. No, who would have thought, right? I know. That's so cool. What yeah, artists leading the way. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I know. These found materials and reusing materials is so inspirational. Mm. And one of my other favorite artists, uh, she's also a friend of mine, and uh, she travels. We used to travel together. For example, we went to Paris together a few times, and she always shows up with a little little suitcase that's empty. And on, during the trip, she collects and fills that suitcase with found objects that she finds in and around the streets in Paris. In other words, it mostly would just be trash. And she takes them home and she makes the most beautiful assemblage and collage artworks out of them. Oh, wow. What what a gift. That's so cool. Yeah. So it's, you know, this idea of reuse, recycle, uh, it, it's it's around and it's viable. Yeah. And uh, if you're creative, you can think of of interesting ways to to use it. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. And you do that too in your own in your own way, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As much as I possibly can. Uh, like I said, you know, they haven't come up with a tech solution for that yet. Yeah. Um, but on almost everything else, I can. Like I got rid of. Uh, I don't store my food in plastic containers. My food is stored in I, – I, sometimes I buy that old 1950s plexiglass. Oh, yes. With the, with the kitchen containers, you know, because mm-hmm. they're still around. I'm like, well, they're just sitting on a shelf in a thrift store. I think I'll buy those and use those. They can go in the dishwasher. Yep. Uh, or I'll, I switch out to glass. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, the only thing I would say I use plastic in is a hiking bottle. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because the glass is too heavy. Yeah. I have a metal water bottle. I tried the plastic ones, but it tasted like pond water after a while because it gets warm and then that plastic, ugh. So I only use metal ones and they don't get a mm-hmm. flavor and they're light. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. They're really light. If they're insulated, they weigh a little bit more, but then they're mm-hmm. insulated so you get the right temperature. Yeah. I've I've always had a, a metal bottle. It's very. So that, that's that's a good that's a good way to go because then the metal's recyclable as well. Yeah, and it lasts forever. I think I've had my current bottle for like seven years, and when I bought it, it was like twenty twenty five dollars. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so expensive, and I've had it for seven years at least, so it's totally worth it. <laughs> I used to live uh, the spend. I used to live the summers in Switzerland for ten years, and and they, you know they make great products there. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I had bought one there that lasted a really long time as well. Uh, I think I think it got so dented eventually I had to yeah. give it up. <laughs> I know. That thing hung off of everything and went all around the world with me, you know. It's like, where's my bottle? <laughs> yes. They get character. Mine's kind of like my security blanket. Like if I'm nervous, I have to bring my water bottle with me. <laughs> the other thing I do that's um would probably be interesting to some people that are listening is um I make my own skincare products. Oh yeah, that's lovely. Uh, because I have very sensitive skin mm-hmm, and almost everything you buy on a shelf has uh, either vitamin E or, tocopher- or, or the synthesized tocopherol version of it. Yeah. And I, if I have an allergic reaction to that if I use it, you know, more than like five days in a row. So I had to get rid of uh, all the fancy, you know, washes and creams and I just made 
my own um, wash out of face wash out of oil mm-hmm. oils, and then I make my own face and body oils, and then add a little essential oil or other ingredients. And uh, my friends always ask me about you know what I'm using on my skin because it looks so great. I'm like, it's what I'm not using. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I know almost you're- everything. In your kitchen, you can you can find almost everything you need in your kitchen. Yes, exactly. I know yeah. your skin is beautiful. Uh, and we were real cognizant of that because I lived twenty years in Hawaii part time on the Big Island, and uh, our reef was dying. Yeah, from all the tourists coming and slathering themselves up with chemical sunscreen. Yep. Before they popped in to go snorkeling on our reef. Yeah. And so I walked in, and the reef was dying, starting to look like a boneyard, and the fish weren't leaving. And finally, uh, they got a, um, it's called Reef Teach. It's a, uh, it's a nonprofit organization that was created there to set up a van on the beach that would rent the snorkel equipment along with a lesson on what not to do on the reef. I mean, it was so bad that the tourists would come with their frozen bags of corn and peas to feed the fish <laughs> and the fish were dying, right? Oh. And there was garbage in the water. So, uh, and there were loaves of bread. And finally we got that under control and said, no, that's not what fish eat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they prefer the algae off of the reef that's dying. Exactly. Uh, and so we were able, and within about five years time, uh, the reef started to come back. And if you go into the reef every day, I mean, you can see, you can see the changes, you know, mm-hmm. and what the fish are doing and all that, all of that. And just recently, the state of Hawaii made it illegal to sell any sunscreen with chemicals. Mm-hmm. I saw that. That's huge. It's very big. Yep. Very we, big news. We need that everywhere, not just in Hawaii, but even yeah. here in Portugal, we need that reef safe, ocean safe sunscreen. It's hard to find in the stores. It needs to be a lot easier. And that doesn't, unfortunately, it doesn't prevent tourists from, you know, packing their chemical sunscreens in their suitcase and putting it on when they get there. Exactly. We just can't, you know, they just can't sell it there. Yeah. But hopefully um, they'll do some education about it like they did with yeah. the van on the beach and teach people the right kind of sunscreen to buy. I think if you are a person who is uh, motivated and committed mm-hmm. to sustainability, uh, you have to do some of these things. Yeah. You yep. can't expect it. It's going to be, the government's going to take care of it or, you know, some, they're going to pass a regulation. It really starts at home. Yep. For sure. I don't, I don't rely on the government to tell me the right thing to do. I mean, no. they don't yeah. do it. So <laughs> we have to be yeah. more responsible than the government. You know, everything that's in my home that I eat is organic. Mm. Yeah. Cause I, I, I don't, I don't want that in my body and I don't want it rinsing it off and having to go down the drain. Yeah. Um, all the fish I eat is wild. Yeah. And not only do you not have to eat those pesticides, but the people who pick your food aren't breathing in those pesticides. Like it's just- Oh, that's huge. It's better for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's more considerate for the people who make our food. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that there isn't any fertilization or any pesticides used, but it's not the real dangerous ones. Yep. Exactly. People know how to make- how to grow food without using chemicals and stuff mm-hmm. like that. There are def- definitely ways to do it that are more natural. And then the food is more nutritious. Oh, yeah. And it tastes good. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, that's one of the big differences I found between you know eating in the United States and then eating in, in places in, in Europe. You don't eat as much because the your body senses the nutrients present in the food. Mm. 
And when when you've stripped the land of the nutrients, you're still you might be growing bigger apples and more corn and you know uh, bigger lettuce, but people can't stop eating because they're not ever getting the nutrients. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. And I know I noticed that from traveling. I thought, you know, I don't when I'm here, I don't eat that much, and the food tastes good. You yeah. know, I mean. And then when I come home, it's just like you're never really satisfied. And then I started to go on the hunt for that information. Well, what's the difference? Yeah. And then I discovered that it was it was the nutrients that were stripped from this from our soils as a practice. Yeah. And then yeah. the chemicals poured on to replace it instead. Yep. There's just a better way to do it and it's more natural. How do you find it in in Portugal where you call home now is the about the quality of the food and can you buy organic food and yeah. What do people think about that? Well, I've been told that all the food is organic. I don't believe it, but that's what they tell me. Like cab drivers were telling me when I moved here, oh, the food is all organic. I don't know. So I go to the organic farmer's market where they're all, all of them are organic farmers and I get all my food there. It's so fresh and it's not expensive. Like when I was in Ohio, I would buy a pepper and it would cost like $3 for an organic pepper. And here I got two peppers and a pomegranate for two euros. Oh, wow. I know. <laughs> <laughs> organic from organic farmer. Like it's unbelievable. Wow. And I try to make sure that the food that I buy is from either Portugal or Spain because Spain is close. Um, so I don't want to buy you know, peppers from Brazil or something. I want them from, from Portugal or Spain. So I do that, but the food is so fresh and creative and flavorful and inexpensive. That's the thing I really love. Sounds yeah. nice. Now, do they, uh, do you recycle there? Do you have, uh, you take your recyclables to a place or how does that work? Yeah, there are recycled containers on the streets so oh. you can take it out to the street and put it in the bin and like there's a huge container under the street and then the truck comes and like pulls it out of the street and does all that. It's very cool. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, they're on every street and it feels like a lot of people are conscious and do recycle because there's an equal number of recycle containers to trash containers. There's like, you know, three recycle containers and one trash container. So. It feels like people do in, in the neighborhood uh, that I'm in. <laughs> that sounds well. They're making they're making it uh, they're making it as easy as they can because you live in a city, right? So yes. it's difficult for everybody. Like even in Paris, I had their, uh, in the apartments I used to rent there, they would have the recyclable container for the building, and then but somebody had somebody who helps with the building would would take it out. When I went to Switzerland, when I lived in Switzerland in the summers, I would have to either drive it. Over to the grocery store, which had really big, you know, recycle bins for different kinds of glass and plastics and whatever. Or they, some of the towns had that uh, bin where you put it in. You, you'd even take the trash out there and put your trash in there. There's one for trash, and yeah. it's all underneath the ground. Then, then they drive the trucks down there, and it's all centralized in one place where everybody takes it to this one place. Yeah, yeah. And it I, works out good. I wonder. I haven't been to the rural parts in a very long time, obviously, because of COVID. Um, but it's, yeah, I don't know how they do it out there. But everywhere I go, anytime I travel, I do find um, the recycle containers here in Portugal. So they are making it easy, which is good. 
The only place I was so shocked that they don't have a great recyclable pro- uh, program, they have one, but it's not great, is Hawaii. Oh, that's too bad. Isn't that amazing for yeah. somebody? For, they're so, they're, 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 it's so expensive and nobody wants to build the plant, you know? And even when uh, there was another there was another recycle company that says, we'll just take it from Hawaii and we'll, we're going to ship it to Oregon and we'll do it there. And yeah. then they, they said, no, it takes so long to change anything there. So they recycle glass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I don't think they, re- they don't recycle paper. Uh, and they recycle certain kinds of cans. Maybe it's a little bit better now. I, I uh, left my uh, home there. I sold my home there. Uh, I think it's almost three years ago now. Yeah. Uh, and they were starting to change up, change up some things. But it's sometimes it's surprising because that's a place where people really live close to the land and the <laughs> sea. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, anywhere in the U.S., they're shipping the recyclables to another country to be recycled. And they stopped recycling glass in Akron in Ohio because they were shipping it to China and China said, no, no more. (laughs) So they just don't. That's a big mistake. That's like that's like shipping your uh, your um, your food growing out of your own country. You know, I mean, you you have to be able to grow your own food and you have to be able to do your own, uh, deal with your own trash. Yes, exactly. As a civilization, got, got to, got to be able to do those two things. Yep. But we and don't. clean water, right? <laughs> got to have yeah. clean water. Yeah. All of those things. It's, it's incredible what we outsource to other countries. And then finally other countries are saying, no, you guys do your own, <laughs> deal with your own trash. And it's a great business opportunity. Yeah. I know mm-hmm. for sure. I once saw, I was at a conference about sustainability, I don't know, a million years ago, and they were talking about this area, this neighborhood in New Jersey, and they were contemplating building a recycling center or a prison. And they were, the people who lived in the neighborhood were like, whatever you build here is where we're going to end up. We're either going to have jobs in the recycling center or we're going to not have jobs. We're all going to end up in prison. Like what you build is where we're going to end up. Mm-hmm. And I think they ended up building the prison, unfortunately. Um, but it's true. Like these things are, they create local jobs. The sustainability movement is all about local jobs. I think. And then when you, and then when you do the recycling, mm-hmm. you have materials yep. that you can, you can use again, you know, and yep. sell them at a, at a, at a lower price. Although I think some, for some products, I mean, I think you may pay a little bit more because it's recycled. I think paper was like that for a while. Yeah. When you know, it gets it, trendy or something. <laughs> yeah. Back in the days when I used to, you know, regularly use reams of paper to yeah. print everything out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then I would look at like, well, what's the recycled paper, you know? And then there would be a problem with it in the printer and it would be like, you know, $3 more. (laughs) And it goes to like, it it always goes down to money, right? If you can find a way to make it less expensive, people will do it. Yeah. You know what's funny though? I don't even know how much a pepper costs at the regular grocery store. I know how much it costs at the farmer's market. The the organic yeah. one. Like I don't even look because I don't want to know. <laughs> I know my priority is to buy the best food. And so I don't I don't even look at the prices at the regular grocery yeah. store. Yeah, I understand. I'm the same way. It doesn't matter to me what it costs. I, I know what my grocery bill is. And so I give up something else yep. uh, so that I can, I can have quality food. Yeah. It's all about priorities. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm curious. 
Lisa, what is something that frustrates you about the sustainability movement? Well, one would be the there not being some sort of program in place for return on investment if you're working in renewables like the sun panels. You know, and so now they came up with there, there's some other programs where uh, solar companies will lease roof space hmm. instead of you buying it, right? So you're not buying it, and then you get your you get a percentage of it and the, of of it, and then the rest goes to the grid. But there's you know problems with that where they're up there on your roof, and then they break your roof, and then they don't want to be responsible for the roof. And so you know the the incompleteness of the thinking of it is very frustrating. You know, it's like they just want to get them up there so that they can make their money. You know, selling it back to the grid to the electric company, but they didn't really think it all the way through. Um, it's frustrating, like example for, for in Hawaii, for example, that's a place that ought to be recycling everything. It's an island, right? <laughs> they yep. they have they have a dump, and of it's course. almost full. Yeah, you know. And as a result of that, people leave their washers and old refrigerators and cars, you know, on the lava fields. Oh, they don't even want to spend the money to take it to the recycle center if they would even take it because then mm-hmm. they got to rent a truck that day, you know? So there, it, what's frustrating is that, and this is probably an area maybe where where at least local, maybe local government could aid mm-hmm. uh, where the, and use some of the tax money to say, okay, how can we get our community to be cognizant of recycling to actually make it easy? It has mm-hmm. to be easy. Yep. It has to be easy, 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 or they won't, people won't do it. Uh, and if you can, if you can give them a return on on their time investment, like for example, in Hawaii, um, you can go to the recycling center. Some people do. They got to have your stuff in a truck because there's only one. It's a yeah. big island. It takes a couple hours to get there. So you drive there, and then you get money. They pay you basically. Oh, for good. the glass, the cans, the electronic stuff that they're gonna they're gonna pull some of the gold out of, and you know things like that. But time, you know, time is money. You know, yeah. so it's that in sustainability. Sometimes it's that whole the whole system. You know, there has to be a good systematic approach that works, and and they want to jump in, but they don't always think about about uh, every aspect on how to make it easy and how to make it. Uh, viable and getting people to want to do it. Right, right. Yeah, it sounds like an infrastructure problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, then you have to say, well, okay, who's going to do that? Is that going to be municipal government? Is that going to be state government? Or is this going to be private? Is this going to be private companies that, you know, they're, what, do, what do private companies do? Make profits. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they're not in business. Yeah. Right? So it could possibly go fall into the realm of, uh, you know, nonprofit, which they also have to make a profit to stay in business too. But then they are relieved of taxes, you know, depending on what their mission is. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, there's a lot to explore there. But I yeah, agree. So that's probably one one area is that, and the other in sustainability is, um, as I was talking about before in the in the tech realm, just the just the lack of consciousness, mm-hmm. even in the packaging. You know, uh, wrap it up in paper, recyclable paper at least. I <laughs> know. Have to be in plastic. 
<laughs> yes, I know. I have this Everything thing. Become, like, you know, hermetically, it's like a hermetically sealed in plastic. I mean, there's just probably another way, another way to do it. Remember the old um, shoe stores? Yeah. You would go into, into the shoe store and you would select your shoes and you would try them on there. Uh, and usually you walked out with your new shoes on and they would take your old shoes. I mean, this is right. going way back. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, you know, a bunch of boxes that showed up at your doorstep with a bunch of boxes in there with a bunch of plastic around the boxes with it. You know, so this whole idea of packaging and how do how do things come? And yeah. I pay attention to that. Like the other day, I went to a new market uh, to buy some fish, and it was wrapped in paper. Oh, good. And I, I was like, I like this. Yes. It was not wrapped in plastic. It was wrapped in paper. You know, things don't have to be wrapped in plastic to feel unique and good and well-made. Like, it doesn't have to be in plastic. No, and even when I even when I do packaging, like if I'm going to sell a bunch of stuff on eBay, which I've been doing during the, this during this lockdown, <laughs> I'm turning my crap into cash. <laughs> Good. I'll just say you'd be shocked at what people are, what, what another person thinks is your treasure, right? <laughs> so when I package them, I don't use bubble wrap. I shred my papers because I worry about identity theft, so I have a shredder. Yeah. I shred every paper that has any information about me on it whatsoever, everything. Good. And I shredded paper as my packaging material. That's perfect. Good idea. Yeah, the more we can reuse, I think the better. We're just we become more conscious. It just starts with one thing and then you start to see other opportunities to reuse stuff. Mhm. Mhm. What's something you wish you were doing better for the planet? I wish that I was driving an electric vehicle and not burning gas at all. Mm, yeah. That's a very common answer. I think the future for that is going to be leasing, just like people rent apartments. Mm -hmm. I don't think people are going to buy cars anymore. I think they're going to lease their cars and the, and the price is going to be you know, less than, the, than what their car payment would be. Mm -hmm. And it'll include the maintenance and the change out of the battery. Yeah. Uh, and I think people would say yes to that if they made it a little bit less. And also enough places that you can this, – this goes back to the batteries where they have to have batteries that uh, can work more quickly to recharge your battery. Yeah. You know, they you know, have that all throughout Lisbon. They have fast charging stations and regular charging stations and mm – -hmm. It's free to park at electric car charging stations. So every electric car gets free parking in the city. Parking yeah. in the city is difficult. And so that's an advantage to having an electric car is you have a guaranteed parking spot, which is very awesome. Yeah. So and that's it, on my list is to not burn, not to, to not mm, burn gas. Yeah. Uh, the other is I Good. wish that I had, um, I wish that I in, uh, had put sun, uh, had sun panels on my roof uh, and this comes, you know, I have a, uh, I'm in, I, I'm married, right? So I have a husband and my husband just doesn't want the sun panels on the front end of the house because he thinks they're going to look ugly. Oh, no. Now, what I think would be great, and I think that Elon Musk was working on this, was creating roofing tiles that are the sun panels. Yeah, I've seen that. I would love to rip my roof off my house and <laughs> repile my roof. With sun panels. Yeah. And I think also we just have to change our minds and say that sun panels are beautiful. 
Yeah. I mean, I don't mind it, but you know, <laughs> some people pull up and they think it ruins the real estate value of your home if you got these, you know, sun panels on. I'm thinking it makes you look smart. I think so too. It definitely <laughs> looks that's better. A little, that's a little squabble, a little domestic squabble that I have. <laughs> Here at my place, over, you know, <laughs> over that, and, and it's just I don't I don't have a big family, you know. Yeah. It's just us. Yeah. So our utility bill is ridiculously low. Sure. Uh, we use na- uh, in California. There's uh, natural gas is abundant and it's really cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, my hot water heater is a Japanese hot water heater that runs off of natural gas, kind of like the ones in Europe are. Mm-hmm. Uh, my stove is natural gas. My heat is natural gas. My fireplaces have natural gas if I and ceramic logs so that I'm not burning wood. Yep, yep, that's you know. Great. But um, so it, it's it's a tough it's a tough number to beat. I and know. if they're asking me to buy sun panels and spending, you know, fifteen thousand dollars, for example, yeah, and I'm already my utility bill is so small, it, that will never pay for itself. Exactly, you're not going to recoup that. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of you know that's kind of frustrating that mm-hmm. you have to be you have to be economical too about it, right? So yeah, I could spend the money, I guess, and then just be you know uh, more 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 in line with sustainability, but. The dollars and cents matter. Mm-hmm. They do. You can't pay to be an angel. <laughs> yeah. The other is I would like to, um, I'd like to use, and I've been pretty good about this. I don't use them very much, but I'd like to use less Ziploc baggies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a trick for that. Do you want to know my trick? Oh, yeah. Just don't buy them because you'll find another solution. <laughs> There you go. I'm I've been using glass instead of Ziploc bags because I just don't have them, and it really works. I haven't broken any. I think if you leave a little air at the top and don't screw on the lid, then stuff doesn't expand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then you know the next day you screw the lid all the way on, and then it's frozen and it doesn't break. So okay, I have one last question for you. Okay, are you optimistic about the future of climate change? So yes. Oh, good. And the reason, yes, I am. And the reason I am is because the evidence is clear. Number one, uh, it's it's uh, getting clearer. Number two, right, with all of the strange weather happenings, yeah, um, you can uh, you can see, you know, you can see uh, the change. Like for example, with COVID lockdown in Italy, yeah, the canals in Venice cleared. Right. You could see the fish. Yeah. Now, some of that is outboard motor travel, but not all of it. So the, I think people, more people, even people who never, th- who don't think about it or don't even believe in it, got to see it. Okay. Got That's to true. hear about it. You know, there's yeah. been, there, there was coverage about it on the news. There's photographs all over social media about it. So the opportunity to say, you know, well, you know, look, if we just take a little, give Mother Nature a break mm-hmm. and figure out what that's going to be and how that can be a continuous thing, uh, it works. And she recovers very beautifully mm-hmm. you know, from it. And then how to bring that down to the personal level. Even though the, I, I believe that the average person, like you're doing your thing, I'm doing my thing. We're trying to do the best we can. We're contributing. It, may, it, it will make a difference. Yeah. But that's not where the main difference is. The main difference is going to be do companies do it? Yep, I know. You know, I can remember there were some European companies that used to operate in the United States, and they used to spill their chemical garbage in our in our streams and our rivers. 
Yeah. And then they, there was there was legislation that was passed that says, mm, can't dump your chemicals in our rivers anymore because the fish, it's killing the fish and it's polluting and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and this is things that they didn't do in their own country. Of course. Yeah. Right? They came over here to do it here. Yeah. Because we allowed it. Because we allowed it. And unfortunately, right now, uh, with the rollback in the respect for the environment and deregulation so that the companies can pollute more, mm-hmm. right, that, that we're going in the wrong direction. But I think that if people are uh, actively expressing their voices in not only um, not only at the voting booth uh, by paying attention to policy – but also finding really creative ways and ideas that they can sell to business. Mm-hmm. Yep, and that would affect the the uh, the pro- affect the profitability of the company. Well, you know, uh, it's always about the money, honey. Right. Yeah. So, they, yeah, if you can come up with that idea, that's a great th- th- those ideas. You know, uh, so I think that I'm I'm excited about it. I think it will change, and I think that the people that are much younger than me, you know, the the people that are 16, 18, you know, twenty five, maybe even going up to to thirty, are so pissed off. Yep, they are about fierce. what is being left to them to clean yep. up the mess, and uh, they're they're really who we can be looking to. Uh, for our own inspiration on not giving up. Because when you've been out here fighting for it for so long, most of your life, you know, and it's, and then you see this, an idiot roll in that rolls back, you know, obviously uh, things that shouldn't be rolled back that are bad for the economy. It's so frustrating. You almost want, you almost feel like there's nothing you've done mattered. I know. I know. That was really, very frustrating. Yeah. It was deflating. Yeah. You know, so I have to I have to uh, then just say, well, okay, I'm going to do my part, you know, but it needs to be more, my, my position is it needs to be more than I do my part. I have got to pressure the powers that be, whether those are corporate entities or their, their policymakers or their elected officials or even people that are in nonprofits and make, and even people in journalism, make sure you're covering it. Yeah, that's true. I know it is a three-prong approach. We need government to protect air and water and we need companies to do better and make better stuff. And we need consumers to be mm-hmm. more aware of their, the power of their buying habits and the power of the dollar. Well, government only regulates to the minimum mm-hmm. yep. point, right? Yep. Uh, and so companies will uh, will do will get away with what they can until they're regulated. Uh, you know, they've tried; uh, it's been tried. You know, what what companies do the right thing without regulation? Yeah, there's a bunch, but there's not enough. Most of them, and and when, then if you zoom out and you took a look at that worldwide, yeah, it's almost non-existent. They only do what they're regulated to yeah. do. But I think but I am very hopeful. You are, yeah. I think you're right that the younger generation is speaking up enough, and they're going to make a big difference. So yeah, we need them. We we need them to, you know. I mean, I like I said, I was somebody who started out by rolling down the window and throwing the trash out the window, not thinking <laughs> right. twice about it back in the you know mid 1960s. <laughs> and now here I here I am saying you're beating myself up for using a Ziploc baggie and, and <laughs> right. trying to get rid of that and figuring out other ways. And I pay attention to uh, I pay attention not to politics necessarily, but to policy. Yes. Yeah, of course. Right? Because the politics always turns into entertainment in, mm-hmm. in our current world. <laughs> right. But if you pay attention to policy. Okay. The future generation will give us hope. 
Thank you for this conversation, Lisa. This oh, was fun. This is so much fun. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it was so lovely. Ooh. Yeah, and congratulations on a half hippie. Thank you. <laughs> and I look forward to listening to more. Doesn't she just have the most gorgeous energy? She is so fun and optimistic and really, really caring. I adore that. So I hope you loved this conversation. I hope you got some ideas about some different ways that you can reduce and reuse and just some different perspectives. And if you have a personal altar for meditation or something, I love the idea that Lisa has about making it seasonal and using elements from the earth to really make it grounded and feel more natural. So thank you, Lisa, for talking with us. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you soon.